Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. Fans of Cotton Malone can dive into his latest adventure with the release this week of Steve Barry's new novel, The Warsaw Protocol. I recently talked with Barry about his latest adventure that takes readers to one of his favorite places. Well, I've, I've been wanting to do a book with Poland for a long, long time, but trying to come up with the story was the hard part. And I've always wanted to include the Armani Christian story. This is the, mm-hmm. the weapons of Christ, the passions of Christ, the instruments of his, of his passion, the, the, the holy nail, the holy blood, the holy cross, um, the, the crown of thorns. There's, there's, a, there's seven of them. And uh, unfortunately, there's about 50 of them around the world that claim to be that. But I picked seven of them. And I wanted to weave all that together, and I was in Bruges, and I went to the Cathedral of the Holy Blood, and I watched the veneration of the blood, and it was fascinating. And it occurred to me when I was standing there that it would be very easy to steal that, <laughs> uh, you know, just right here because it's all kind of open, and there's, there, there's very little security. There's really nothing going on here. And so the novel kind of came to me during the trip to Bruges. And I was able to weave it together and include Poland in it and, and draw Cotton into his 15th adventure. Mm-hmm. Steve, some of these places aren't going to let you come and visit them if they think you're going to walk well, I, off with their I'm relics. Not, I'm not going to tell them. You know, <laughs> I'm just going to sneak in. That's what I do. I sat there for about four hours that afternoon and, and watched the whole process. And it, it just it just kind of all kind of occurred to me. It's one of those great moments where things kind of come together. Well, you, you mentioned the relics, and this is a kind of a game of, of, of cat and, and mouse as it kind of unwinds. And um, Cotton's former boss is in need of his help. And uh, with this, I guess you'd call it a, a blackmail s- scheme with some of the most powerful governments in the world. And involving these holy relics is kind of the, the ante or the entrance into this. Yeah into this game to help peddle some embarrassing information on the president of, of Poland and uh, that uh, could be used to uh, uh, some of those countries' uh, uh, benefits. Um, kind of In terms of these relics, though, kind of separate the, the, the fact from the fiction because they, they're they such a kind of a central part to the way the story unfolds and how they are acquired and, and how they're, they're used. And, and yet, as you mentioned in the story, there's some... Uh, question about the provenance of, of a yeah. lot of these that are claimed to be these these parts of yeah. There's so many of them. There's there's so many around the world. I just picked my seven out of the forty or fifty you could choose from. Uh, like someone uh, someone once said a long long time ago, if if all the pieces of the Holy Cross were put together, they could never have been carried by one man. Uh, you know, it's that it's that much wood. Uh, to put together. So it's impossible to know which are real and which are not. It's a matter of faith. I just chose mine. I I never could figure out how to work the Armani Christi into a thriller. It just didn't fit because these relics are important from a religious standpoint, but they they don't have any other significance outside of religion. So I thought about, well, what if they became a ticket into the auction, a way to get into the auction? And I dealt with uh, information brokers. That's what this novel deals with. And there are people out there that actually peddle in information. That is their entire job. They, they're like brokers with real estate. They broker with information, and they're very good at it. And governments and corporations and individuals use them all the time. And so the reader is going to learn about information brokers. And so I created this auction where this information is, on, is going to be sold, and Russia and the United States both want it, but for entirely different reasons completely different reasons. And then you throw in uh, Iran and China and North Korea and a few others who also want the information, but for totally different reasons as well. And Cotton gets himself into an, a real mess. You mentioned the, obviously the title book is the Warsaw Protocol, and, this, and, and it's, it's referenced throughout. And, 
And it's, you talk about this collection of papers that are files, maybe however you want to, to look at them, that, that are you know part of history, but could something similar to the Warsaw Protocol really exist? Well, it's a good Does question. It exist it's, a, it's a good question. They, they have found, uh, it deals with uh, what happened during the Cold War and what happened to Poland during the communist occupation. And it deals with some things that I think the American reader will be very surprised to learn. Now, documents like the ones that I deal with in the novel have been turning up all the time. And they're turning up all over the place. So they're, they're not nothing unusual. I just kind of put them all in one location. So there's, this is all pretty much based on reality. And there is an enormous amount of documentary evidence out there that is highly incriminating to people. Uh, the whole thing in the novel dealing with Lech Valenza and what he went mm-hmm. through is real. It actually happened. Um, and you know, he eventually admitted that he did. He was working with the Soviets. He did sign up to work with the Soviets, but he claimed it was to learn more about them and to study them from the inside. And so I sort of took that and ran with it. And um, it it was fascinating to learn about all of that, about what happened. Uh, There's probably no greater insult that you could tell a a Pole today than they were a collaborator with the Soviets. That may be the the worst thing you could say to one today. And if, if they take it, you know, it's still very fresh over there. That wound is still open. It's still present. Uh, it has not gone away. And I want the American reader to, to know about that. All of Cotton's adventures are, are travel logs set against the, the, the backdrop of, of, of history. And this jaunt takes him uh, through Belgium and especially to, to Poland, where we constantly take a, a really look at a lot of historic settings in, in, in Poland. What, talk to me a little bit about the significance of, of some of these locations that you, you've, you've well, placed in the setting. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I mean, I love Poland. I love the country. I love everything about it. And that's why I wanted to do the novel so Americans could get a, a feel for this marvelous place. It's been the battleground of Europe for centuries, and it was wiped from the face of the map in 1795, but it came back. It was They tried to wipe it out again after 1945, but it came back. And the southern part of this country is really unique. Uh, Krakow is a beautiful city. It's a 15th, 16th century city that was never bombed. It's still as it was. Um, I wanted that in the setting. Babel Castle, that is set there once the home of the Polish kings. I wanted that to be there and in the novel. And then, of course, the salt mines, which are located a few miles outside of town, go back centuries. And uh, I went uh, down in there, but took two trips down into the mines, and it was just amazing. And I wanted that in the novel. And, of course, the entire climax of the book takes place there underground. So all of that scenery, all of that country, Czestakowa, which is the holiest place in Poland, is in the novel. All of that is in there. And they become almost like another character. And that's what I, mm-hmm. that's what I wanted in the book. And uh, I'm hoping the readers are going to get excited and want to go to see Poland. Well, throughout the, throughout the book, Cotton kind of plays this, uh, I don't know, game of, of cat and mouse with a fellow Polish operative, Sonia Draga. Um, there's some history with these two, I take it. There is. Uh, I wanted uh, Cassiope is not in this novel. I get a lot of it. You know, where's Cassiope? Where's Cassiope? Sometimes I just I need to do some things just with Cotton, and she's not in this book. Uh, he's not doing anything bad. He's not playing around her or anything. But there's a little bit of a history with these two, and uh, and they they interact with one another. And of course, she has a, a very deep connection to what's going on in the story. And it was fun to have him interact with her and have that that whole. One, one-on-one kind of thing that goes on. She's quite savvy. She knows what she's doing. She's right on top of things, and uh, uh, who knows? You might even see her again one day. 
Cotton's mission in this book largely, in many ways, uh, helps the president of Poland to both save face and kind of keep control of his, his country. While at the same time, Cotton is kind of s- sticking it to the U.S. administration. There yep. seems to be some a little bit of commentary in there, maybe. Well, not really commentary. What happened is, uh, you know, I get a lot of comparisons, mm-hmm. you know, that but the problem is Danny Daniels was a totally different kind of president. He was kind of a down-to-earth, gritty, right-in-your-face, no-nonsense no kind of guy. So when I replaced him with a new president, I couldn't have the same kind of guy. I had to have something different. So, I, you know, I just maybe flipped him around, and, 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 and Warner Fox, the new president, has his, has his faults. He's not, he's not as savvy and good at it as Danny Daniels was, but he also has a little bit of arrogance to him. And so that, that, conf- that conflicts with Cotton. Him and Cotton are going to butt heads in this novel, and this is going to be a source of conflict for several novels to come now, uh, as this conflict plays itself out between the two of them. Um, I I just wanted it to be different. I wasn't trying to make a commentary on anything real or not real. Uh, I wanted it to be uh, something, you know, conflict is interesting to the reader, and so if you can generate that, it's always a plus. And, and certainly Cotton and Warner Fox have their conflict, as I said, is going to carry over. There's some more, there's some more head-butting between these two coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed his, his former boss, she's kind of left, uh, not to give anything away, but she's kind of left up in the air after the uh, after the yeah. successful yeah. completion of this mission. And and uh, the, the, the ending does seem to set up Cotton's next adventure. It does. In fact, the next book starts at the moment that book ends. I did this once before back uh, years ago with the Charlemagne Pursuit mm-hmm. and the Paris Vendetta. And so I tried it again here. The book's over, the story's over, it's finished, and then there's another scene that sets up the next novel because uh, the, the problems that Stephanie's going to experience in this book are going to carry over for a few more books as, as this begins to work itself through. And I was setting that up here uh, and getting getting ready for all of that to happen. And so I, that's kind of fun where you end the book at a moment of a cliffhanger and the next book will pick up at that moment. Steve Cotton has been such a fixture now and we've followed him through many, many, many adventures as as a writer that his that this has been a primary part, a lot of uh, his series has been a primary part of, of a lot of your work. Do these things have their own kind of life that they that at some point in time it uh, cotton oh, kind of I fade into not. the, or, or is it just <laughs> is it, it, as a story? I mean, there's always a story that can be told. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, Dirk Pitt with Clive Cussler has been going on now for 50 years, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I'm hoping I can keep going. I'm at 15 right now, so you know, I quit aging cotton about five six books ago. He's he, has, he hasn't aged in years. It's basically time has stood still in his world and. I learned that from Kussler. He did the same thing with, with Pitt. So I, I'm hoping they don't. I'm, I'm certainly not writing the books, you know, with an end in mind. I'd like to keep them going. And certainly, you know, I've got more stories in my head uh, uh, to tell. So I'm, I'm, if the readers will keep reading them, I'll keep writing them. As we talked about this before, history is such an important part of the book and and your writing. Why is that so? I mean, it, it's... Is it important for folks to remember, or, or just it, does it set help you with your with your context? Because no. it seems so. It seems important to remember kind of where we are in, oh, in a yeah. sense of place in, oh, in your yeah. writing. History matters. I mean, that's what it does. It just matters. You you cannot ignore it. For God's sake, you do that at your peril because very little in this world is new and original. Most of it's already happened before, and so you should learn from all of that. And you certainly need to know about it. My books deal with even something more complex than that. I try to find something completely lost, completely unknown, completely forgotten that 
that the reader is going to go, wow, I had no idea, and I want to make that point relevant today. So I look for the really, really lost stuff that has been just completely slipped away from us, and all of it matters. And that's what the books matters, because something that happened 400 years ago is still relevant today. Something that happened 50 years ago is still relevant today. My novels have both of those elements in it, the, the thing from the past and the so what till today. And the, the message is clear that history matters. That's author Steve Barry. His latest novel, The Warsaw Protocol, from Minotaur Books, is out this week in all formats. With this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams. You can find more author interviews on our webpage, wsiunews.org. Take WSIU with you wherever you go with the WSIU mobile app and stay up to date with the latest news, community events, and the arts by asking your smart speaker to play WSIU.